Hey guys, this is Tyler Padgett. I'm the lead pastor of the Courageous Church, and this is our podcast. I want to thank you for joining us today. And my hope is that this podcast encourages you, that it builds your faith, and that it pushes you to make a difference. You can join us in person on the weekends, Sundays at 9.30 and 11, at any one of our locations across the Ozarks. Check out our social media pages to find a campus near you. I believe you're listening today for a reason. Let's do this. Turn up the volume and let's go. I've got a burning thing deep down in my soul today. And my title is, I'm going to stick it to the, I'm going to stick to the courage phrase. Uh, Courage to be a Jesus church. Courage to be a Jesus church. My title before that was, this is a Jesus church, so. Let's do this. Are you ready? I love this church. I've been here since October of 99. I love the people that make this church. And as a young man, I didn't, I didn't know what I felt about the church, but I knew it was important. And I knew I found something there that I couldn't find anywhere else. You see, I was raised in a nine-member church. It was me, my mother, John and Ruth Burns, Grandma Hazel Grove, Emma, Howard Jordan, Glenda Jordan, and Michelle Jordan, and that was our nine. Yet nine people. And my mother played the tambourine, the pastor played the banjo, and uh, the, 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 the pastor's daughter played the piano. And it was nine of us until I was 15 years old. One day, Grandma Hazelgrove, who was the mother of the pastor, got mad and left the church and took Emma, her daughter, with her. So we were down to seven. But then somehow, someway, God saved Mafalda Blancado Talata. And that is, my, that is my grandmother, and my grandma got saved. Now, she was only running on a quarter tank saved, but she was saved. There was, uh, there was uh, you know, she had some, she loved Jesus, but she cussed a little and still wanted to take out hits on people when they disappointed her. She was very Italian. The Lord never delivered her from that, and hopefully she'll be in heaven. I believe she will. And so the church stayed small. The church had no vision. The church smelled like cat urine and pine saw because a team, a cadre, a consortium of wild cats lived underneath the church, and they would do all kinds of adulterous and fornicatious things while we were trying to have church loudly. It was problematic, to say the least. And during that time, being raised in that church until I was 15, we had one revival, And I'll never forget it as long as I live. I don't know what happened, but they brought this young evangelist through, and he went out into the community and started inviting people to our revival services. I don't know why we had revival services, because it was usually just the same nine people coming together for extra nights. But somehow this young evangelist had a different vision, and he went to Hardy's, and he got the fry cook to come to church, and the fry cook brought one of his friends. And I remember the service feeling so different when I got there because there was somebody in the church I didn't know. I was like, oh my God, oh my God, there's people here. We might need to go greet them. We might need to shake their hand. We might need to say hi. Did we do a good enough, did I do a good enough job mowing the lawn? Did I do a good enough job helping my mom clean the church? We got guests, people. Things could change. And during that season of revival, it was three nights, but I'll never forget it, that I, I remember I played the drums <clears throat> much better than all the cats that play the drums at this church. I'll tell you that right now. I was, I was, oh, what? I speak the truth. <laughs> no, I wouldn't be qualified to, uh, I, I wouldn't, no. 
I have a deeper anointing, okay? It's just a whole other thing God's doing in my life. Now, I'm so thankful for the amazing drummers we have, and I'm not at their level, but I was sitting there playing the drums and looking, and this man looked up to the ceiling and was like he was beholding the glory of God for the first time. It's like Jesus is here. Something could happen. Jesus is here. Lives could be changed. Jesus is here. What the heck is going on? Because it was so different than that every day of my life. Neighbors came. My mother's neighbor friend, Connie Bailey, came and got saved. And Jesus changed her life. And I've been chasing that my whole life. I've been chasing an environment or a people or a heart expressed that pulls people from darkness to light. One time I brought my friend Jerry Chernowski. It was a northern Indiana area where there was lots of names like Chernowski. My friend Jerry Chernowski, I realized that he needed Jesus and I invited him to church and shocker, he came. I was, and it was in high school and, or the, and I was 15, so whatever high school that was, maybe eighth grade. And uh, he came and I was so shocked and he kept coming back and I was like, the Lord is doing something. Oh my goodness, the Lord's doing something. Then I found out he had the hots of the pastor's daughter, so I... Well, he did, but whatever it takes. Come on, flirt to convert. Whatever you got to do. I am not condoning such things. That's the pastors making funnies in the Holy Ghost. I love you, Southside. And so I would mow the yard. I would clean the church. I would play the drums. I would pick up rocks in the parking lot. I never got thanked and never got paid, never expect, expected to get thanked or paid, and I did it for Jesus because Jesus was my friend, and he'd meet me when I prayed. Everything I did back in that time was probably because I wanted God's church to be strong, healthy, loving, and just good for a change, and it wasn't, and it never happened there, really. But I knew in my life, if God gave me the privilege or opportunity to lead a people, I wanted to guide a people and a place to where it would be excellent, cared for, ready for people with needs, a place where people could grow and build their lives, a place that exalted and worshiped the Lord Jesus. Not philosophies, not traditions of men, not family drama that takes over a church, none of that. I wanted to be a part of a Jesus church. I remember, remember when God called me. I was a young man in North Carolina, and there was an altar call, and they called for all the fathers and sons to come up, and I didn't have a father. And the Lord, <clears throat> I just I asked him, would you be my father? Will you take care of me? Will you love me? Do you want me? And in that moment, I gave my life to Jesus, and I was never the same. Many years later, God called me at a camp meeting to, to, I guess, to preach, but I didn't know what that looked like. I just was going to serve the church. Didn't know if I could preach or not. Still sometimes pastor wonders of the Holy Ghost. <laughs> but I knew that God had touched me, and I was no different. Then one time uh, after that, I, was in the, the, I, wrote it, I went and Googled the place. I was at the Puerto Rican Weston Rio Mar it's kind of downgraded now. I think it's a Wyndham now, but it was a Weston. It was super nice. I was in a basement in Puerto Rico of the Weston Rio Mar, and I was in a business meeting in, when I lived in Florida, and, and I saw my future in the lives of all these men, and God spoke to me, and he said, does any of this compare to my presence that you felt that night at that camp meeting when I called you? And immediately I answered God and said, no, Lord, nothing compares to that. Because 
No motivation compares to Jesus. Nothing satisfies like Jesus. Nothing heals like Jesus. If I'm away from him, I get nervous and anxious and irritable and wander and wonder in my soul because nothing satisfies me like Jesus does. I've been at this church for 23 years, but it's not my church. It's Jesus's church. And it's a Jesus church. It's healthy, strong, loving, open, and diverse. It's a Jesus church. I don't own the church. You don't own the church. A denomination doesn't own the church. A certain family doesn't own the church. It's a Jesus church. And that's why our values look like this. We put Jesus first. We keep Jesus first in our heart, our head, our home, in our hands. We keep Jesus first. Because Jesus is the foundation block of the church, and Jesus should be the foundation block of our lives. It's all built on Jesus, not built on politics, not built on grievances, built on Jesus. So this isn't a church I own. This is the church that I serve as a team member, and particularly as the lead pastor. That means I lead the team that leads the church. But, but, but all of that is secondary to this fact that Christ is the head of the church. Christ is the head of the church, and it's because this is a Jesus church. And Jesus is our shepherd. Jesus is the head. Jesus is our senior pastor. He's the ultimate head of the church. He's in charge. I work here. You go here. But Jesus runs this place. I'm the lead pastor of the team, but the head pastor is Jesus. He's the good shepherd that cares for his sheep. And I'll tell you the truth. Jesus has done things with this church that I couldn't do. And Jesus has done things to this church that I would never have done because Jesus runs leads and loves his church because this is a Jesus church. I want you to know something. When it comes to the bride of Christ, the church, don't criticize it really. Love it because the church is beautiful in all of its forms. If it's a consortium of grandmothers knitting and then worshiping Jesus, it's beautiful. If it's a mega church with sparks and flowers and flames and, 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 and amazing production, it's beautiful. If it's a simple country church where a man with tears in his eyes proclaims the gospel, it's beautiful because Jesus is in the church. And that's what matters. And Jesus is the ultimate shepherd. He's the one that leads us, protects us, cares for us. Jesus is the head of the church, and this is a Jesus church. And so today we're looking at John 10, and it's going to build on this thought for all of us. John 10, verse 3 today. Are you ready to rustle through those scriptures to get into the word of God? Let's go. The sheep, everybody out there, north and south, everybody go, That's a, Oh, that sounds so barnyard-like. Listen, we are the sheep. There's goats that got loose all of a sudden. We are the sheep of his pasture. The Lord looks at us like we're his sheep. In this analogy, the Bible draws. The Bible says in verse 3, The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. I 
don't know about you, but I was flabbergasted and frustrated by the amount of schools in the Ozarks that are the Tigers. Willard Tigers, Republic Tigers, Everton Tigers, Ozark Tigers. I could go on but choose not to. You get my point. Why are everybody the Tigers? Oh, we love Mizzou. We hate Mizzou. This is Missouri State country, people. Everybody turn those shirts inside out that you're wearing this morning in God's house. Seriously, though, you know, I came from a school. I kid you not, you can Google it. Rensselaer Central High School. We were the bombers. Which was very problematic around 9-11, actually. They considered changing it. But it was named during World War II, and there was a lot of uh, thankfulness for what the bombing raids had done. So we were the bombers. But I have never been to a high school where I walked in like, welcome, we're the Niangua sheep. Nobody names themselves the sheep. And here's why. Sheep aren't that great. There was a man who founded this church named Sarge White, and we're blessed to have uh, several of his family members that still attend this church, and I love them so much, and he was such a great man. And, you know, we, we never had words with each other, really. He was such a kind fellow, but he worked at the stockyards in, in the Springfield for, for many, many years. He was a real cowboy, and he never said an unkind word about anything. But one day, we got on the topic of sheep, and this old cowboy acted so aggravated, and he said this one phrase, like, sheep are stupid. <laughs> Like, what do you mean? He's like, oh, they're just the worst animals to take care of. I just didn't. And he went on about how frustrating it was for him to care for sheep at the stockyards. And I guess they used to deal in sheep at the stockyards. I didn't know they did. But I thought it was so funny because that's the only unkind word I ever heard him say. It was about sheep. Now, sheep are not strong animals. There was this uh, sheep named Bobo. And Bobo escaped from the herd and ended up in the hills of New Zealand for six years with nobody to take care of him. And I have a picture of Bobo. I want you to look at him. This is what Bobo looked like after six years. Look at your neighbor in the eye and say, can you imagine the dingleberries involved here? (laughs) I was joking. But like, look at this sheep. The sheep did not grow better. It didn't grow stronger. It was not more sanitary. It was not more cared for. A sheep left to itself without a shepherd ends up in a mess. I shouldn't have said that part. But I did it anyway. I just can't help myself. I mean, seriously, this is not good for a sheep to be without a shepherd. Sheep are really helpless. Sheep never mature. Sheep are super vulnerable. Sheep have no natural defenses. Sheep make a lot of mistakes. The Bible says that we are the sheep of his pasture, and the Bible also tells us that he is the good shepherd. Our utter and total dependence in life for our protection, provision, help, Direction comes from Jesus, not from us. I've never seen a sheep get in a fight and win. Every once in a while, a sheep will go crazy in the barnyard and headbutt somebody. But that is not the norm. And sheep that are referred to in this section of Scripture don't survive in 
the wild. And so Psalm 23 says this, and I want to read it out loud together. And I think with the way things are in the world, this is something we should keep close to us. We're going to all read this out loud together, all locations. Get your reading voice together. Are you ready? And we go. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Next verse. He restores my soul. He leads me Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Next verse. Surely... When you, clap your hands, that's the word of God and it's good. When you read this, nothing about you should see yourself as the one sheep that knows Kung Fu. Like, I may be a sheep, but I'm strapped up. No, you're not. All sheep need a shepherd. So I went down the rat hole on YouTube watching shepherd interviews this week. I'll do stuff like that because I'm a wild and crazy guy. And uh, I watched these shepherd interviews and two things were profound. Jesus says he's a shepherd. He says we're sheep. I saw this one shepherd. He had a stroke and he couldn't move. He was paralyzed and he was in the hospital. And he said he spent his entire recovery concerned for and just wanting to get back to the sheep because that is the heart of a shepherd. He cares for the sheep. Another shepherd I saw brought an unwilling mama sheep into the barn, subdued her, got her in a safe place, and helped her give birth. And the mother gave birth to a stillborn lamb. And you could see it that the shepherd himself was more crushed than the mom for what had been lost there. You could see his pain being greater than the pain of that mother sheep for the unborn or stillborn sheep. Understand something. The Lord is your shepherd, and he will take care of you. Listen, you want to recession-proof your life? Trust in Jesus. You want to live a life that lives under the hand of God and not under the hand of government? Trust in Jesus. And Jesus is teaching them this when his credibility has been repeatedly attacked. They have told everybody and everyone that he is a low-down, dirty, no-good you know, hypocrite, liar, all this. And Jesus gives us incredible teaching with all that criticism, pointing all those people to himself as the source, pointing those people to himself as the strength, pointing those people to himself as the help that we need, right? And so he's using language that's familiar to the crowd. We're not so familiar with shepherding anymore, but those people were super, super familiar with shepherding, and they understood the closeness of the relationship between the shepherd to the sheep. It is real when you go and see a shepherd. He can go out into the field and do a special call. Every call of a shepherd is different. The whatever it is, the sheep hear that and will come to the shepherd's voice. 
They don't overrun the shepherd. They follow him out of trust. And that's what Jesus is saying of our relationship with him, that he wants closeness, familiarity, that we would look to him for direction, for him to provide, for him to guide us safely, that we would never get out of step with him as our shepherd. He wants us to hear his voice. He'll call us by name. He'll lead us. He'll go before us. We follow him, and we know his voice. I've got to ask you the question, church. Do you know the voice of God? Have you spent time close enough to Jesus that if he whispers, if he speaks, if he leads you, if he puts an impression on your heart that you know the Lord is speaking to me, the one who is my friend, the one who I walk close to, the shepherd of my soul is speaking to me. Listen, you got to know that voice. It comes through time and attention. It comes through closeness with God. It comes through worship and the word and time invested in a relationship with him where you will get close to Jesus and you'll know his direction and you'll know the voices that aren't his. And stranger, the Bible says in verse five, verse five, a stranger they will not follow, but they flee from him for they do not know the voice of strangers. All voices are not equal. All thoughts are not equal. All philosophies are not equal. We gotta learn to hear his voice and recognize the truth that comes from Jesus and also recognize and commit to not following the voice of lies which are everywhere. Flee from the strange voice. And then it says in verse seven, Truly, truly, I say to you, I, Jesus speaking, am the door to the sheepfold. If you're going to become a part of my my group, herd, body, whatever you want to call it, you're going to come through me. I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. Be aware, it's everywhere. It's in cartoons. It's in commercials. It's in songs. It's in every influencer's voice. Everywhere. This pervasive spirit of antichrist. Everything but Christianity. Everything but God. Everything but what is good. You are your own solution. You are your own source. You are the source of goodness in the world. If we can just give more control to the government, we'll live in a humanitarian utopia that we're trying to create absent of God. There are pseudo voices in the world trying to draw you to other religions and have you bow to them. I'm going to go crazy right now and just say some things that you're not going to love and you're going to love some of them and not love other ones, but I work for God, not for you. I love you. But there are those that want you to follow homosexuality as a religion. The whole transgender agenda as a religion. Climate change as a religion. Patriotism as a religion. Diversity as a religion. Violence as a religion. Murder as a religion. All of this where we give our devotion to things and none of that is worthy of your worship. Only Jesus. Chasing things that man creates as though they'll satisfy your soul has always made the heart of men and women bankrupt. Only Jesus 
satisfies the soul. And only Jesus is truth. And his sheep know his voice, and another they will not follow. There's good things that, aren't, that don't deserve to be God things. And there's anti-God things that don't deserve a moment of your time. We got to know the voice of Jesus. He says in verse 9, I am the door. And if anyone enters by me, he'll be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Over and over again in John's gospel, we've seen Jesus talk about how he is the only way to God. He's the only way to have eternal life. And he's, it's available to whosoever that would believe you can have it. And then this is one of the most uh, widely recognized verses in Scripture in verse 10 because he says he's tying the shepherd that we should trust and the voices and the people of thievery that we should not trust in the world. And he says the thief comes only, verse 10, to steal and kill and destroy I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. We got to trust the shepherd and not the thief. We got to trust what is good and hate what is evil. We can't look to what is evil for our entertainment. We can't look to what is evil for our joy. We can't look to what is against God to find satisfaction. The thief has an agenda. And the, the devil desires to steal your faith. The scripture says that when Christ returns, the question was asked, will there be faith on the earth? And I think looking at the state of things, it's because so many people move their faith to causes and away from Jesus. Philip said, in the face of religion, sirs, we would see Jesus. Paul spoke to us and said, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. This is a Jesus church, and we're Jesus people, and another voice we will not hear. And the church says yes. Yes. So much confusion and they shouldn't be confused about a thief. Oh, the thief's here. Let him in. Talk to him. We can change him. You can't change him. You can't change the thief that's spoken of. You love the thief. No. A shepherd doesn't say, oh, there's a wolf. A wolf has come. Let's feed the wolf. Let's groom the wolf. Oh, the wolf has a tick. Let's pick the ticks off the wolf. None of that happens. The wolf gets shot by the shepherd because he's coming as a thief. The shepherd will not allow the wolf to have a hand or a foot or a jaw in the herd. Well, I don't understand that. Well, I know that you're, you wouldn't make a very good shepherd. All your sheep be eaten by the wolf that you're trying to coddle. You don't coddle the wolf, you shoot wolves. Somebody say amen. The thief comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. But Jesus is worthy of our trust. He is the great shepherd and protector. And we are citizens of his kingdom more than we're citizens of any other kingdom. And this all reminds the devil that he can't touch us because the shepherd, the head of the church, the one who is over us and who loves us, he'll take care of us. Because verse 11 says this, Jesus talking I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. This is the heart of God for us. 
a God that will sacrifice and love in ways that we could never, ever understand on our own. And it goes on to say in verse 12 this about the heart of God versus the heart of those that just come along like thieves. He who is a hired hand, verse 12, and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. That is not good. That is the worst possible scenario for giving away any kind of authority. Like shepherds take the hits. Shepherds have staying power. Shepherds don't run and chase better opportunities. Shepherds are planted in a community when it goes up and when it goes down. Shepherds will ride a church down and ride a church up. Shepherds are people that say, come and go. We will be here just like the father in the story of the prodigal so that if they do come home, they're going to find a place that's partying, prepared, and ready to receive them back. That's what shepherds do. But hired hands say, well, let me go look on monster.com and see if there's better churches somewhere. No, that's not what shepherds do. Shepherds buy a grave plot and say, come hell or high water, we're going to proclaim Jesus in this place until he comes. And hired hands just move on. And so shepherds, Jesus being that shepherd and shepherds in general under shepherds are so important. Don't put me on a pedestal. I'm just a dude. I will fail you. Jesus is the head of the church. And, 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 and I mean, the Bible says no one is good but Jesus. And so our gatherings point you to Jesus. Our small groups points you to Jesus. Our worship points you to Jesus. Our counselors point you to Jesus. Our pastors point you to Jesus. We are here to point you to Jesus because he will not fail you. Say that with me. Jesus will not fail you. This is the truth that we live on. Verse 14, he goes on and says this. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. He says we must. Uh, this is how I am, okay? I was in a, a grocery store, and I heard Christmas carols that weren't like, it wasn't Rudolph. It was, oh, Holy Night or something like that. I'm there amongst, you know, I'm, I'm over here by the, by the rice-a-roni and the, the scallop potatoes, and my head goes up and tears come to my eyes because they're talking about Jesus. And I, I know... Jesus. I, I, I know about Jesus. If I'm watching the news and somebody, I was watching the news not too long ago, this kid somewhere in like Clever that got in an accident and, and he, he could have died. They said, what, do you, what, what happened to you? How did you make it? And he started talking about my Jesus. And I'm watching KY3 in the living room and I start crying because I know, I know about that man. I know about Jesus because he changed my heart and he did some things in me that, that, and he's still working, but Jesus did things for me nobody else can do. And that's why he says, verse 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. And then he says this about his heart toward us. As the Father knows me, and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. This is talking about the cross. 
Jesus was not murdered. He gave his life for us because he is good and worthy of our trust. And then he tells them this. And that's why we should be careful in our interactions with people. Because he says in verse 16, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. Christ is not divided. He has one church. Christ is not divided. There is one gospel. Christ is not divided. The church is beautiful in all of its forms. People, all this exclusivity that people would say, well, I don't like that church, and I don't think I should. uh, Their style, their style. Who cares about style is Christ proclaimed. If I move to a community... And all there was was some kind of orthodox church where the pastors wore skirts and they lit candles and they swung smoking balls of censers around. And I've told you this before, but baby, I would get down if it was about Jesus. I would learn how to hymn. I would do a falsetto voice. I'd do whatever I had to do. If I moved into a community and, and it, was, it was country fried and there was no way to find Jesus except through a country fried steak, then I would just go and I would tap my feet and clap my hands and give honor to Jesus. If I was in an environment where I was the only person that had any kind of background that I had and they worshiped Jesus differently, I can listen to Spanish music about Jesus, not know a heck, not know anything what they're talking about and just feel the presence of God because it's about my Jesus and I know his voice and as a church we got to know his voice huh are we in love with Jesus or are we in love with ourselves do we know the voice of God are we trusting our great shepherd the one so we think we're like the only sheep in the barn that's got a black belt we think we're the only sheep in the barn that can Really defend ourselves well. No, you're a sheep and I'm a sheep. We need the shepherd. And it says this in verse 17. For this reason, the Father loves me. This is, he's like, I have this relationship with God because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I have the power to lay it down. I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay my life down. And I have authority to take it up again. This charge I received from my Father. Our all-powerful shepherd wants a closeness of relationship with us and wants us to look to nothing other than him for our salvation, hope, help, provision, peace, strength, all of this, all of this Jesus wants us to come to him with. Listen to this again. Listen to Psalm 23 in closing. Why don't we all stand together? Close your eyes. I love you all. Close your eyes. Let me read it to you, and I want to tell you what he's saying to us. Think about Jesus with me as I read this. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He's going to take care of all my needs. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He's got a place of rest for me. He leads me beside the still waters. He has a place of peace for me. He restores my soul. He can heal the most inward parts of you that you've not exposed to anybody else that you may not even understand. He can heal that. He leads me in the paths of righteousness 
The God we serve is holy and he'll make us holy as we follow him. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. It's because he's our protector. For you are with me. It's because there's presence for us here. Your rod and your staff. God will give us discipline and direction when we need it. At the same time, the Bible says they comfort me. He is our comforter. And then he says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. He's saying, I will work a miracle of relational restoration in your life. He says, you anoint my head with oil. That's the anointing of God. My cup overflows. That's provision. God taking care of you yet again. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. God's best will chase us down. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's eternal life through Jesus our Lord. Hey, thanks so much for listening today. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can like and subscribe. You can even share this on your social media. If you do, tag us at The Courageous Church and share what God is doing in your life. Always remember, God's calling you to be strong and very courageous in all that you do. I hope to see you soon. God bless.